welcome to Flippin' Out. You don't understand how excited I am for this podcast episode today. Today I have the Dave Tilly. Dave Tilly was a former gymnast and then opened up a business called Shift. He also is a gymnastics coach. He shares all his knowledge about strength, conditioning, recovery, injury prevention, all of those things, and he is such an inspiration to me. Throughout this episode, he shares so many incredible tips and tricks about how you guys can improve your gymnastics performance. So this episode, you do not want to miss. I was so blessed and excited to hear from him because this is so much knowledge all in one episode. In this episode, you guys can learn how to improve your gymnastics performance, get stronger, get more powerful, improve your longevity, avoid injuries, and so much more. So you definitely don't want to miss this. So without further ado, let's get straight into this episode and hear all about the things Dave has to say. Hi, thank you so much for being here today. Um, So to get started, if you want to just introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your journey and things like that. Sure. Yeah. My name is Dave. Um, I was a gymnast my whole life. I went up through level 10 and then competed in college at Springfield College. Uh, and then I have been coaching since I was like 15. So kind of doing both those two things together. And then, yeah, I went to um, undergrad and did my doctoral work at Springfield and then did some postdoctoral work to get a board certification in sports and a strength conditioning degree. And pretty much the last uh, maybe 15 to 17 years has been just being a dork, man, just being a dork in gymnastics, just coaching and uh, treating a lot of gymnasts. I probably treat like 30 to 40 gymnasts per month at Champion Physical Therapy, which is the clinic I work at in Boston. And then up until last year, I was coaching optionals, but things got a little busy. So now I've just been doing the clinic and running Shift. Shift is a company that's like education for athletes, coaches, gymnastics, just people around the world. Uh, It started off as a blog in 2013, and now it is uh, a monster with a podcast and a whole bunch of other things. So yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's awesome. I've been a huge fan of Shift because um, it's just been amazing. Like, and it's helped me so much in my gymnastics career because I have researched like all things that you have written and just it's it's been awesome. Sure. Well, I'm happy to help. That's why I do it. Right. Because people like you think it's useful. Yeah. Um, and getting right into it, um, it's a big question, but how can gymnasts train most effectively while avoiding injuries? So it's a very broad question, but we can always like break it down. For sure. Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I think there's a couple layers to it. And I usually think what I suggest with people is counterintuitive to what a lot of other people think. So I'm a big believer in that the gym's culture and kind of how you know you interact with your parents, with your coaches, with yourself is really the most important part. So there's there's so much science and research on things I could share you about exercise and stuff. But in reality, um, if you know you are not maybe being honest with yourself as a gymnast and saying, you know, like, ah, oh, my back kind of doesn't feel great or my knees are more sore than usual, or maybe you're going through a growth spurt or something's happening. So yeah, if you're not really maybe in tune with what's going on and then if you're not able to speak up to your coach or talk to a parent or talk to a medical provider who understands gymnastics and takes that seriously, um, it doesn't matter what exercise you get. Like that's, that's for sure the most important part. So yeah, a culture that really supports, you know, open communication and honesty is, is for sure the most important. Um, secondarily, there's this idea uh, in, the, in the research world called like workloads, which is essentially how much you're doing, right? So like, are you going too hard, too fast? And so I think that sometimes unfortunately creeps up on people where maybe, you know, they just, uh, the season comes up quicker than they imagine. And they're like, oh man, I got to get my series. I got to, you know, get a new release move. I have to get the Shurchenko, whatever. Um, and they're excited, rightfully so, but they just, they go way too hard. And, you know, 
Sometimes that happens uh, because the gymnast is really motivated and they want to get their series, which is great. And so their back starts to bug them. Or sometimes, unfortunately, you know, maybe the planning of the practice is a little bit too aggressive and you do a new warm up or a bunch of new active flexibility drills and you, you add too much in too fast. So that's probably the second big reason. Um, and then after that, there's a bunch of uh, other reasons that are, you know, things that are changing in the gymnastic culture. I'm a big proponent, you might know, of, of gymnasts lifting weights at a young age, you know, starting yeah. from the age of 12. And uh, the culture is getting better about the benefits of that. I think there's a lot of work to be done to educate coaches about what that looks like and make sure the right people are teaching those things. Um, and then, yeah, we need some updated, you know, flexibility methods as well. I think we still have some work to do there, what the research says versus what maybe we do. And then lastly, I'll kind of be honest and say that the, the medical care for gymnasts is still in the process. So you need to find a good medical provider who understands gymnastics, which is hard to do. So yeah, those would be the five things I say is like, you know, culture, uh, making sure you're not going too hard, too fast, but you're, you're taking care of like your basics and drills, having good technique and doing all your physical preparation. And then the other three of strength, conditioning, flexibility, and uh, working with a good medical provider. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And going on to the weightlifting. Um, so what does the research say about that? And why do you think it's so important for gymnasts, um, like starting at a younger age to um, start weightlifting? Yeah. It's a great question. So I'll, I'll reverse this to kind of get your brain going. What's the most important thing in gymnastics for new skills? Like, What do you need in order to get new skills? Strength, probably. Strength, strength yeah. power, right? It's, a, it's an explosive body weight power sport. So that's really when you see people who are doing double doubles, huge release moves, giant, uh, you know, ring giants, whatever. It really is about explosive power. So if you look at the research on how you get more powerful, um, the one of the fundamental under, underlying things is you have to get stronger. You have to get stronger and you have to move faster. That produces more power. So you can punch the floor harder. You can hit the springboard harder, all that kind of stuff. And obviously not every skill in gymnastics is about power. There's a lot of stuff that's not, but the majority of it is. So, so then you say, okay, how do you get stronger? Like, what does the research say on getting stronger? There's two ways. You can either... Uh, well, three ways, I guess. So one is you can do body weight strength, which gymnastics does leg lifts, rope climbs, handstands, um, all that you can get better technique. So you can, you know, not leak as much power or energy when you hit the floor, or you can do resistance training, which is lifting weights. And so there's a lot of really good research that the, um, types of muscle fibers that are working when you're working, like sprinting really fast, you're in power, they get stronger when you do progressive overload with weights. So you kind of go down the rabbit hole of like, what's the most evidence-based supported way and when you look across every other sport, almost every other sport at a youth sport level, particularly, and then you look at like college gymnastics, every team lifts in the summer, particularly in the off season, like twice a day. I don't think you should throw out all the body weight stuff. You still have to do handstands and rope climbs and core and hollow and work, but doing a little bit of both of what I call is like a hybrid strength conditioning program um, clearly has the most benefits for uh, gymnasts to not only gain more strength, but also set the step foundation more power but also resistance training is one of the best research supported ways to reduce the risk of injuries. So, you know, the force equation in gymnastics is pretty simple. Double backs and stuff like that are really high force, 15 to 18 times body weight, weight training and technique training is just a way to slowly build up your capacity to kind of get there. So yeah, that's why I'm such a fan because I think it's, it's the biggest low hanging fruit right now for, you know, a lot of people to perform better and have less injuries, regardless of they want to compete or not. And I think the barriers right now are education and a lot of myths and misunderstandings from coaches or educators or medical providers. So that's what I've tried to do is educate people on those things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And how do you go about finding that balance between doing that gymnastics based conditioning and then more of like the weightlifting type stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So 
I think this really comes down to the time of the year and what your goals are. So, you know, as you know, and many of the people know is that in artistic gymnastics in particular, there are like about four smaller chunks of the season. So you have like the off season completely where you're training skills and you're trying to get stronger and you're trying to like, you know, get circuits and cardio stuff. Then you have the preseason where you're putting your routines together. And then you have like your first half of the competitive season, which is just hitting routines and getting your basic requirements. Then you usually have some sort of championship season. And so by understanding what those four phases are, you can prioritize one or the other more based around the time of season. So um, when I work with colleges or elites or just people who want to be in adult gymnastics and just have fun, I usually tell them that the off season in the summer is when you want to try to have a 50-50 balance between general resistance training and gymnastics specific training. So you can either have, say you're in the gym only two days per week, you could do one day of uh, weight training and one day of gymnastics specific training for like an entire 30 to 45 minute circuit. And then maybe doing a warm up, have like your rope climbs and stuff or in side stations, you could do physical prep there. Um, if you have like five days per week, you could have two days being weight training and two days being general gymnastics training and then add circuits around that and same kind of ideas, put in a warm up, a lot of basics and drills. So generally in the off season, I tell people that it's probably 50, 50. And then as you get towards the end of the summer in the States where we are here, um, you want to do a little bit more of the power-based stuff. So sprinting and sled sprints and med ball slams and ropes, because you're trying to get your body to move faster. But in the preseason, when you're trying to get ready for routines, you probably want to make it a little bit less gymnastic specific, sorry, more gymnastic specific focused and less strengthening. So maybe three days are now gymnastic specific routines, combinations, skill basics, you know, getting your endurance up getting your new skills put in. Maybe you just have one day of doing the general weight training stuff. And then by the end season, it's pretty much all focused on gymnastics specific weight, uh, you know, drills and hollow mm -hmm. rocks and all that kind of stuff. And maybe you just do maintenance care for one day per week. You have like a prehab day or a maintenance care day and you just add in a little bit. So yeah, off season is probably 50, 50. And then you work your way into being pretty much all gymnastics. Then you get to the end of the year. I'm a big fan of gymnasts taking at least two weeks minimum completely off from training to kind of let their bodies recover, if not up to four weeks with more basics. And then you kind of start the cycle over again. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering, how can gymnasts improve their flexibility, which is another big part of artistic gymnastics in our sport? For sure. Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, flexibility is really all about consistency over intensity, which is counterintuitive to a lot of people. So I think a lot of people on your, like, you know, think that if, oh, if I just stretch my oversplits crazy hard and if someone pulls on my shoulders, um, you know, I'll get more flexible. And I can tell you that that's definitely not true because think about how many gymnasts do day in and day out two times per day of oversplits and stretching and stuff. And they still have, you know, problems with flexibility. So understanding, I guess, why flexibility can be changed is you have to understand there's things that like the joints can move or like the muscles around the joints can move. Mm -hmm. So gymnasts typically are more naturally hypermobile in their joints. So we don't really want to be stretching those things more because it can sometimes cause some crankiness in those joints, like your shoulders or your hips, but also a lot of gymnasts are still developing and their growth plates are open. So we don't want to be pulling really hard on their growth plates. So instead what we can do is we can do a lot of soft tissue work. We can do a lot of like foam rolling and specific stretching that focuses on the muscles being the thing that we're stretching. We can do a lot of active flexibility drills. We can do some more, you know, oversplits are okay if you have uh, worked your way into it. But I think it's more about finding some things that really based off like a movement screen, we know your hip flexors are stiff or your, your lats are stiff. Let's just focus on those things with a circuit of doing some soft tissue work, some specific stretching, some active flexibility. There's these things called eccentrics, which are really helpful as well. And uh, if you do them in a circuit, those are all the things that the research supports that are probably going to make long-term changes. But the key here, Elia and others, is that the research says that you have to do it five to six days per week for a minimum of four weeks before you even understand any changes are being made. So wow, yeah. I think that's, that's typically what's challenging is like how many gymnasts are doing 
two sets of 30 seconds of a specific stretch five to six days per week for four weeks in a row, you know, only taking Sunday off and doing it every single day for 15 to 20 minutes, probably not happening, but that's, that's really the best way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's that's, that's incredible because a lot of gymnasts don't do that. I'd say most <laughs> yeah. gymnasts don't, but it's really eye-opening to hear that. And when injuries do happen, how do you go about um, recovering from them in a smart way so that hopefully you can get back to 100%? Yeah, for sure. So it kind of goes back to the same five things that I think I talked about in the beginning in terms of like maybe how to reduce the risk of injury. Um, you can't prevent injuries. Gymnastics is risky and all sports are risky. But if you do have a situation where you have an injury, say you roll your ankle or your back really starts to bug you, you kind of want to use those five categories again. And I think one of the reasons a lot of gymnasts come to me is because I, I don't mind giving some tough love, you know, because I care about them long-term as humans more so than like their performance short-term. So I'll tell somebody if I really think they're going to need a lot of time off. But so on the, the culture side is, again, you have to, you have to speak up early about it. You have to tell someone right away. And there are gyms I understand where maybe the reception of saying something hurts or something's bugging you goes not like they're ignoring you. It's just that like things are busy and they're running around with so many kids, but you have to stand up for yourself and say like, I'm not doing any more serious. My back hurts or, you mm -hmm. know, my heels really hurt and I can't do any more vaults today. You have to be willing to have that conversation, which is tough for a young gym. sometimes I really understand, but the culture is the most important. You're going to have to modify some sort of the workload. So the thing about gymnastics that's really helpful and interesting is there's so many different things you can do in gymnastics. You can probably change some things while still doing other things, right? If yeah. you roll your ankle, you can still do a lot of bar drills. You can still do core and upper body. If you have a gymnast wrist issue, you can probably do a lot of leg strength and core strength. You can find a way to work around it if you work with a great medical provider who understands gymnastics. So you will have to modify your activity, right? Like Severs, for example, and growth plate injuries, most people want to just find the best exercise or stretch to make the pain go away overnight and go back to their competitions. And when I meet with them, I say, Hey, this is going to be at least like six weeks, right? So like, you're going to take two weeks away from impact, two weeks of doing strength conditioning, and then two weeks of slowly going back to tumble track and tramp before you go to floor. And it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, States weekend or off season, you know, the reality is that you have to take that time off because if you ignore it and you get a stress fracture, you're going to be in a boot for three months and then you lose half your season. So I'm honest with people in terms of saying what they need to modify, but I also do everything I possibly can to make them a full program built around their injury. I talk to their coach. I talk to their parent. We make a Google doc. We share it together. So you have to change whatever you're doing. If it's like your back hurts with running and backbending, you have to get away from beam and vaulting, right? If your wrists are sore with men's gymnastics on pommel horse, you have to find another way. And then the other things are looking at strength and conditioning and looking at flexibility. Um, can we find ways to get maybe your your hips are not as strong as maybe your back, maybe like your hamstrings and your, your glutes are not as strong as your quads and your groin. And we got to work on that. Maybe your shoulders, because you're growing, have gotten a little tight. And when you go to swing for a layout step out or something, it's that your shoulders don't move as much and your back hurts now. So we're trying to be a detective and figure out what things are hurting and how do we help them feel better. But then maybe what things are going on above and below your back or above and below your knee that we can, we can figure out. And so obviously that takes some, some care with a medical provider. So we would work on those things and then we'd just slowly reintroduce you back to, you know, low level drills and strength conditioning first and tumble track. And eventually we get our way back to full skills. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And you talked a lot about um, culture. So how can we work to change the culture in gymnastics to a more supportive environment? Um, it's it's a hard question for yeah. sure. Oh, it's but... good. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I believe there's three three things, three pillars that, you know, from the very beginning of shift and like 10 years ago to now, I still firmly believe in. So one is 
we really need to have a clearly established moral and ethical standard in gymnastics for everyone, coaches, gymnasts, parents, um, medical providers, like there needs to be uh, an agreed upon, I guess, code of like, how do you work with kids? How do you interact at meets? How do you interact with other coaches at clinics? Like what is the proper etiquette? And a lot of this is basic stuff we know, but essentially we don't have right now, which is like a code of conduct that is not only uh, agreed upon, but also enforced. And so we need like a moral and an ethical code that I think needs to be really published to say like, hey, it's not okay to walk away from someone at a meet if they fall in their dismount. It's not okay for a coach to yell at another coach at a meet. You'll get removed from the meet. It's not okay from a parent to be screaming from the stands, you know, to coach or something like that. It's not okay. And there's a million examples, right? In the same way, it's not okay for you to push your teammate off beam if you're in a bad mood. Like the same thing that we would expect of the athletes, we have to expect of ourselves. And that's called positive peer pressure. So there's negative peer pressure, which is doing things you're maybe not supportive, but there's positive peer pressure, which is when you're trying to encourage good behavior to bring up a culture as a whole. So yeah, we, we require a lot of positive peer pressure amongst each of our groups, but then also we need national governing bodies to hold people accountable when they do things that are not right, you know, safe sport or, you know, just ethical things like, like, like someone who's um, not treating kids well, you need to be held accountable for that and either fined or suspended or something like that. So that's one. Two is I'm a big believer that education is really the way out here. I think that education is crucial in terms of, I think 80 to 85% of coaches and parents and other people are really amazing people who just unfortunately don't have access to great education. So I think personally that if we want to see things change in the U.S. in particular, we need a really big overhaul of how we approach coaching education in particular, but also gymnast education. So in the States right now, if you want to become a coach, there's really no credentialing. There's no certifications. There's no year long schooling. You just start coaching. And that's really dangerous, right? Because one, it's, it's a, it's a safety risk, right? Just taking your U100 course from USAG or others is not enough. You need to understand what is uh, not perfect technique, but what's recommended technique for basics and how to run a class. You need to understand basic anatomy and physiology and mental health and a little bit about nutrition and a little bit about, you know, sports psychology. So I believe personally that in the medical world, we have kind of a half clinical and a half academic, you know, partnering. So for me to get a degree in physical therapy, I had to spend a year, I had spent a couple of years going through school, but then I had to spend a year working under somebody else and they would essentially evaluate if I knew what I was doing. So that's what we need to be half the time is we should have coaches who maybe go spend six months training under a coach that's really well known and knows how to, you know, produce gymnasts that are of a level they want to coach. And then half of it is academic. So people like myself and Nick and others, Amy, great coaches who have success, they should be paid to make educational material. And then you take academic coursework, just like school, you get tested on it and you take, you know, clinical coursework, just like a medical provider would, and you get tested on those. So I think in order for someone to start to become a gymnastics coach, they have to spend at least a year studying and training. Not that you're not getting paid for that, but maybe you're paying half the education and then your gym is paying for half your education on an agreement that you're going to stay there and work there for two years after. So I think that should happen. And then maybe for optional and above level gymnastics, there's another year of advanced coursework, you know, where now you go hang out with Amy Borman or, you know, Simone's coaches or someone, and you learn like the really high level stuff. And then you have your same exact testing material, you get advanced coursework. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing for me is, is not for, I think the gymnastics world to deal with. It's for dorks like me to worry about, which is we need a way like to monitor how hard gymnastics is. Right now we don't know, how hard gymnastics training is. We don't know how to, you know, count repetitions or skill counts or have monitoring systems. And so that's, that's a really important thing I think needs to happen to to monitor someone's wellness about like, how are you feeling? Are you feeling good? Are you feeling bad? Like what's going on? 
um, so that we have a better understanding of what the training is doing to someone. So those three things, I think, are the are the way to maybe make a really positive cultural change. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I like what you said about having coaches learn before they actually just start coaching, because it's kind of strange how like in gymnastics, you can really just become a coach. But in so many other things, you actually have to learn, which makes so much more sense like you want to learn about what you're doing um so yeah i think i think that's a great next step and it also goes for for gymnasts and parents too right like i'm a firm believer that gymnasts need to be educated on how to take care of themselves how to balance their time mental health you know nutrition there's so many things that are beyond just the gymnastics teaching that gymnasts really need great education and there should be a portal and i think there is for some of that but there should be an evidence-based science-based you know criteria that gymnasts can go in and learn about all these things nonstop. Like we should be paying great experts to contribute towards gymnast educational funds. And then parents too, like parents are so overwhelmed with like, you know, imagine being a new parent and trying to like figure out leotard, mm-hmm. travel fees and meats and food. And stuff. it's really hard. So like the more education we can have for these groups, the better. Yeah. And how important is that sports psychology and how would you improve that mental training and work to get, your mind, um, like right at just as sharp as your body would be in gymnastics. Yeah. And I think, I think mental health is still, it's getting a lot better in terms of not being stigmatized, but it's for sure the, you know, I guess the, not the elephant in the room, but it's just not talked about as much. And it's, it's not given enough respect, I think in terms of like physical health. Um, I'm not a sports psychologist nor a mental health provider or therapist, but I've, I've, I have a lot of friends who are. Um, and I think there are some things related to maybe how you view yourself and how you talk to yourself. And there's things about how you view other people. So in terms of viewing yourself, I think personally, a lot of the self-talk and as cheesy as it sounds, and it's like, you know, sometimes this gets a little bit in the woo land, you know, about like what you allow yourself to say to yourself. Right. So like, there's some things that I think people, everyone's guilty of this, myself included, that the standards you have for yourself and the expectations you have for yourself are so insanely high and so relentlessly, you know, unachievable that you're always letting yourself down or you're always upset with yourself because you didn't do something or did enough. But these are things that you would never in a million years expect of your best friend or somebody else. Like the things you say to yourself, you would probably never say to somebody else, right? Like if like one of your teammates fell on one of their skills, you wouldn't be like, oh my God, you're so terrible. I can't believe you fell on that again. Like you're such a loser. Like you would never, that's like, (laughs) right. But some people really say that to themselves, like, oh my God, I can't believe you messed up on that again. Like you, you always blow this, like you never hit at meets. And so when you allow yourself to say those things to yourself, it kind of undermines your own negative core beliefs of yourself. Like you act, as, you start to really believe I must not be good enough or I'm just not a good gymnast or something's wrong with me. Why can't I get this skill? And that of course lowers your self-esteem, it lowers your confidence. So I really think a lot of the progress that I made in the sports psychology realm, working with therapists and working with people and what I've heard a lot of elites work with is not 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 having negative thoughts because they're almost they're automatic they just pop out of nowhere you're like whoa i can't believe i said that but it's having tools and strategies to maybe interrupt that thought pattern or kind of like talk back to that negative voice with factual things right you'd be like okay well today i'm not doing well but i made five of these three days ago so like there's no reason that i couldn't do it again or again thinking about like if i was trying to counsel my best friend through a problem or a mental block what would I say to them? You know, I try to say those same things to myself. And I think for me, that's been really helpful in my career to audit, you know, uh, some of the things, because in the other way, if you're, if you're more neutral about your thoughts, you can then have some more uh, logistical uh, thoughts about yourself. They're not as irrational or distorted. And then of course you can have a little bit better confidence when you compete or when you train stuff like that. That's very, very hard. That's like so easy for me to say and almost Mm -hmm. impossible to do sometimes. Like it's, it's very hard to pull yourself out of a negative mood. 
that's kind of more the internal stuff that I believe people have taught me that's helpful. On the outside, uh, I think really it comes down to comparison. I think, you know, the, the old cliche is that comparison is the thief of joy. And I really believe that, right? If you walk into a practice and there's say you, your back handspring on beam has really been something that's terrifying for you and you do your back handspring and you're super pumped and you're super proud of yourself. But then, you know, three other people do something that's a little bit more layout step out or something. And you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. That shouldn't yeah. take away from your own happiness. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to, you know, be proud of your own efforts while still being happy for others. And I think that's hard for some gymnasts to understand because of the competition nature is that they think that if somebody else is getting skilled, it's taking away from their happiness or their ability to, to compete well. And sure, like, you know, there's definitely com- competitions, but um, between, you know, Instagram, TikTok, all these other places, if you are constantly allowing other people's gymnastics to influence your mental health, that's not a them problem, it's a you problem, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, you have to be accountable for the fact that you're following those people or you're consuming eight hours of TikToks that are watching other people's gymnastics instead of maybe focusing on what you can do to get better. So yeah, I really believe the internal structure and then also like who you follow, what you watch, what you think in your head about other people. When you go to meets, when you're watching other people, what that does to your own self narrative. Like I do, I do think accountability is really important with a lot of young gymnasts to make sure like, yes, it's hard sometimes to watch somebody get a skill you're working on or have somebody, you know, get a scholarship or something like that, but it's up to you to manage your own emotions and your feelings and say like, okay, this stinks, but what am I going to do about it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. And going back to that physical aspect, how can gymnasts uh, work to improve their form and their shapes, which is another big part of gymnastics Mm. um, for sure? Yeah. Nick and I, Nick Ruddick and I have this cool concept that we came up together, which is essentially called like the basics of the basics. So you obviously need to be able to like hold a hollow and hold an arch and hold a handstand and hang really, really well. But if you have underlying things that are limited, it's, it's, there's no drill. There's no coaching in the entire world that will allow you to do that. So if you're, if you're growing and your shoulders are very, very stiff, it doesn't matter how many of your chain drills you do. It's going to be hard to open your shoulders and get into the proper shape that you need. If your uh, hip flexors are extremely stiff or your groin muscles are extremely stiff, it's going to be really hard to keep your legs straight and keep your hips open for skills. So that's always my personal recommendation to people is you can work with medical providers or do things that look at what you need to work on without being in pain. So I think sometimes we forget that PTs are really good or ATs or chiros are really good at movement assessments. So if you struggle with flexibility, I just had an elite yesterday who came not because his shoulders hurt, but because his handstand lines are super funky because his shoulders are really tight. And he's like, I've been trying everything. And like, I have no idea why it's not getting better. So sometimes you can take a step back and believe it or not, there's a lot of reasons why maybe you can't get your arms over your head or you can't open your hips. So I would first start with like basic flexibility and see like, do you have the flexibility you need to get into a shape that you need to then pass that? do you have just the baseline strength, right? Are your, are your hips strong enough to open fully when you're doing a, a hollow or an arch? Um, are your, is your upper back strong enough to open your shoulders fully? A lot of times in gymnastics, we're really good at doing the rope climbs, the leg lifts, the pushups, which are important, but we get so far into those, we lose strength in the other side. So the upper back, the glutes in particular are really important. Um, and also part of it is, again, back to that consistency over intensity. I think a lot of times people are not going slow and spending 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes per practice on basic shapes and handstands and holding and body tension. It's really about uh, repetitions. It really is for that kind of stuff. Like, do you know where your hands go on a cartwheel? Do you know where you're supposed to look in a cartwheel? Do you know how to keep your core engaged when you're doing punching drills? And I think that stuff's really boring. It's not fun. It's not as exciting as doing soups and doing release moves and stuff like that. But it really is what separates those people who are able to get new skills and do really, really well from those who maybe struggle a little bit is 
who is willing to do 30 minutes of really boring flexibility work and active drills and, and prehab, and then 30 more minutes of a really boring basic shaping, you know, of their three to four hour practice. And that's not fun, but that that's part of the, uh, the grunt work that is in gymnastics. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And my final question is, what advice do you have to any gymnasts or coaches or anyone like that really just aspiring to be the best they can be in the sport of gymnastics? Yep. I would figure out, I would spend a lot of time figuring out what makes you happy outside of gymnastics. Mm-hmm. I would not only base your entire life around gymnastics and skills and meets and scores, um, that it's totally okay to have the hobby of gymnastics and be obsessed and love it and want to go you know, to the moon. I, I get it for sure. Um, I work with a lot of people who do that, but I think it's, it's sometimes very dangerous to only rest your um, entire life around gymnastics. And so have, you know, built-in time off to your schedule to watch Netflix or do whatever you want or go out with your friends, go to the lake house, go shopping, whatever makes you happy outside of the gym. Um, I think that's really, really important because if you're really in it for the long haul, you're not going to make it if you don't have those fun things. And then the thing I always try to tell young gymnasts is you should never depend on anyone or anything for your self-esteem and your motivation and your happiness, right? That really has to be something you work on and can have on your own. I think it's one of the reasons I've been successful with shift is because I don't need people's approval to feel like I'm doing the right thing. I don't need people's money to, you know, be successful with the business. I don't need people telling me I have to do this to be motivated to wake up at five and go for a run before I do four podcasts today. You know, that <laughs> really comes from a place of, I genuinely want to try to help people and I enjoy it. So I don't ever burn out because I don't need their approval. And I think that's in gymnastics. It's really important. Like if you can really get to a place where you're doing gymnastics because you love it and you want to make these goals have progress and you really want to see the long tail, not if the judge will score you, if you'll get this skill, if you'll make this level, if you'll make this team, if you'll get the scholarship, if you'll beat Susie over there, who's on Instagram, like that's a really dangerous way to live your career. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you again so much, Dave, for helping my dream come true of you being on my podcast. This was an incredible episode filled with so much knowledge that I know me and all of my listeners will have so much value from. And all of my listeners, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode and supporting Flippin' Out. This has been such an amazing experience for me. I hope you guys have an amazing and blessed rest of your day. Bye, guys.